Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This time we're having our conversations out at sea on board the newest luxury cruise ship afloat, Silver Sea, Silver Dawn. Cruise ships are back, and by this summer, nearly 300 will be back and fully operational, sailing around the world. And on this shakedown cruise of Silver Sea's 10th ship, I sat down with the CEO of the Royal Caribbean Group, Jason Liberty, to get the big picture of the industry, where it's been, and where it's going, with a few surprises. Then I chatted with Matthew Upchurch, CEO of Virtuoso, on the trends he's seeing in global travel. Chris Gray-Faust, managing editor of Cruise Critic, talks about post-COVID strategies for the cruise lines and what you need to know. And then, some of the cruise ship fallout from COVID-19 and what it means to the cost of your cruise. And finally, I'll chat with Mary Jean Tully, the mega travel agent from Canada who books more cruises than just about any other travel agent in the world. I'll hear her story of what really happened when Crystal Cruises failed. Up first, Jason Liberty. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Suffice to say, it's been an interesting time in the cruise industry. 
um, roller coaster doesn't even begin to talk about where you guys were and where you guys are and maybe where you guys are going. But in the last two years, was there ever anything in the in the game book for you, in the playbook that could ever have anticipated what you went through? Yeah, well, as you said, Peter, the, the industry, our company um, was accelerating um, going into this pandemic. And then of course- how many, how many ships did you have on order? We had at that time uh, 16 ships on order. That's a big deal. We were growing at about five or 6% a year on, on our capacity. Um, our guest, our, our, the guest experience was never uh, greater. Um, and uh, so, you know, all brands were really firing on all cylinders. How many brands are we talking about? So we have three core brands. Well, we at the time we had four. We had um, Royal, Celebrity, Azamara, and Silver Sea. Um, then, of course, we also own half of Tui Cruises and half of Hot Pog Lloyd. So all of these brands were doing really, really well uh, going into it. And then you were filling your ships. Fill, oh, filling the ships with no problems. Um, and then, you know, filling ships with no problems. We were expanding our destinations and our deployments around the world. We had more and more guests coming from different countries all around the world. And let's talk about the numbers for a second, just about the industry. Sure. Not many people realize how few people have taken a cruise. Yeah, that, well, that, that's exactly right. So, you know, when you look at outbound travel, cruise makes up less than 3% of outbound travel um, in, in, more, um, in, in, in the larger markets like the U.S. and Europe and so forth. So it's a very small sliver of, uh, of people have actually cruised before. So you were poised for growth based on that low percentage. Poised for growth, uh, new to cruise was never greater. I mean, we, typically about a third of our guests are new uh, to cruise, a third of our guests are loyal, uh, are loyalty members, and a third are first to brand. And we were seeing coming into the pandemic, um, almost 50% of our guests were new to cruise. So it was looking very good. Very good. And then pandemic. Pandemic hits, uh, as, you, we, as you kind of referred to a playbook, there is no playbook when all of a sudden you go from $11 billion of revenue to zero. Um, so I kind of describe it as a meteor directly hit our industry. And at that point, you were not the CEO. You were, you were Mr. Finance. That's right. So you weren't, you weren't sleeping a lot. Was not sleeping a lot. Um, but I, I will say, you know, we, you know the, our, the culture within our organization has always been very solution-oriented, very innovative, and very partnership-driven. And so when this happened, of course, you, you know, you, you, there's a moment of time where, you know, you, you all of a sudden there's, there's no revenue coming in. But the ecosystem, the partnerships, um, you know, everything kind of came together for us relatively quickly, which put us in a much stronger financial position relative to others. At a point where nobody thought you could, you could pull that off. That's exactly right. And, and it's, you know, if you, if you kind of go back in time, um, you know, the capital markets had also frozen. Um, as everybody was trying to figure out what does this all mean? Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of uh, skepticism um, on whether or not we were going to be, you know, be able to survive that direct meteor hit, and, and, we, and we, we, we very much proved that wrong. I mean, we all remember those indelible images, images you'd like us to forget, of course, but those indelible images of the Princess cruise ship being quarantined in Yokohama, the Holland America ships with people sick and dying, unable to even find a port that would accept them, and the, the whole industry, meaning your industry, basically shutting down. Right, and it didn't happen to the airline industry. It didn't happen to the hotel industry. Although everybody took a hit, you yeah. guys were literally shut down. Yeah, we were shut down. I mean, I think when you go back to those days, you know, just the knowledge around the disease was was very was very light for for any country or anybody around the world. Um, so I think you know it was you know there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of media attention around those ships, um, and there were a lot of lessons learned um, that resulted not only in bettering cruising but also bettering uh, also also bettering how society was dealing with the disease. 
So once you're able to shore up your financial situation and get some additional capital just to operate, right? Yep. Then that gave you the time to figure out, okay, now how do we navigate through this? Well, that's right. And, and you know, there's a lot of elements of this, right? One of which is we had to get our crew home and safe. Yeah, people forget that it's one thing to get Mrs. Schmidlap back to Cleveland when you've got a crew of mostly foreign nationals that's right. whose countries didn't even want them back. That's exactly right. Right? That's exactly right. And so, you know, again, like, through education um, and, you know, and taking all the actions we possibly could um, to get our crew back, you know, that got them back home and safe. And, and of course, you know, we've stayed in very close contact uh, through that period of time until the point that we began ramping up our ships uh, in early June of last year. And so you've been cruising now uh, basically since June of 21. June of 21, that's right. Right. Yeah. And are you fully back yet? Uh, we've got about 85% of our capacity is back up and running. The balance of that will be up here in the next couple of months. And we're slowly bringing our load factors uh, back up. Um, and we'll, we'll, we plan to be at full load factors uh, in the summer. You know, I used to see uh, last year a number of videos that to me were like riveting and also very disheartening. Uh, and I'll tell you what, they were on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And the videos that I was watching were taken on the bridges of immaculate ships. Uh, everybody in their dress whites. And it's being taken on the bridge of the ship. And you hear the, the harbor pilot, you know, basically saying, okay, you know, two degrees starboard and then all ahead full. And then you pull back to see the ship being run up on the beach. Basically all those ships that were being scrapped, right? I mean, it was just, what just happened there, right? Um, and every cruise line, you know, was basically taking some of what you called your old tonnage sure. and running it up on the beach. In some cases, ships that would normally not have ex exceeded their life expectancy, but because of the economic situation, it was like, what do we do with these ships? Boom, and off they went. At the same time, though, we're sitting on a ship right now that was being built during the pandemic, right? One of about 23 ships that had already been ordered. And that's, again, about the process. People don't realize that when you come up with an idea for a new ship, you just don't launch it the next week. It's three to five years. That's exactly right. Well, and, and, I, and I think to the point on, on, the, on the scrapping of ships, I think that there, you know, every company, especially us, you know, we have a fleet strategy, and we were selling about a ship a year. Um, before know, the pandemic. Before the pandemic. So <clears throat> there, were, there were ships that were in that kind of zone of either being sold or being scrapped. Um, and, and we did take advantage of that opportunity to do so. I, I just want to be, I think it's important to clarify that when we, when we did scrap the ships, we, we made sure that it was done in a very environmentally friendly way. Right. And you kept all the bars for yourself. Of course. I'm okay. just double checking that you That's kept right. the bars. Okay. That's right. Uh, there's, a, there's a good friend of ours named Peter Canego, who, who is a journalist based in California. Wow. He has focused his entire career on going over to those scrapyards overseas and taking out the bar from the Pacific Princess uh -huh. and the and the mural from the Michelangelo. I mean, I mean, his his house is no longer a house; it's a museum. I mean, there's so oh, much stuff really. that when you do scrap a ship, you should let your passengers know because there's an emotional connection there. Well, that's that's I think that's a great idea. Uh, and, and and of course, we do take a lot of those historical um, elements um, off of the ships. Not all of them are the are the bars. Um, but but a lot of the things that are historical representation of our of our business and and you'll see on a lot of our ships we have locations where we've taken uh, taken some of those historical artifacts and, and and putting them onto our ships. I remember the last cruise I did before the pandemic was on a ship with so much history nobody even knew about it. It was in the Sea of Cortez. We got on a ship called the Astoria. Mm. Does that ring a bell to you? It does. Yeah. The Astoria has had eleven different owners and nine different names. But its most notorious name was the Stockholm. Stockholm yeah. 
which is the ship that rammed into the Andrea Doria and sank it back in 1956. It's still, it's still there. It's 74 years old. It's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Not in your fleet. Not in our fleet, no. <laughs> Probably never going to be. No, we'll never be in our fleet, yeah. So let's talk about how you come out of this, because you can't look at it in a vacuum. It's not just, okay, we're going to resume sailing again. We've complied with all the CDC requirements, and whether it's ventilation or shore excursions or meals or the process of quarantining and tracing. and all, Okay, you've done all that. Sure. But you can't do it in a vacuum. You've got to get the ports on board. That wasn't easy either. No, well, in the early days, it definitely was not easy as everyone was trying to figure out what are the protocols and procedures, you know, by location. Over time, what's happened is, you know, everybody has kind of orbited around the protocols that the industry has put out, you know, the healthy sale panel that we put in place. And so those protocols have been very... And by the way, that healthy sale panel, you partnered with a competitor. We did. We did. I mean, you know, we looked at what was best for the greater good and what was best for the greater good was going to be the best for us. Um, we'd never want to trade on safety and health and and so you know bringing that group together and of course the other cruise lines you also were able to kind of be involved and to see how those protocols evolved the interesting thing about the protocol is when you separate out like testing and quarantining and those type of things the day-to-day type of stuff for us were things that we were doing before anyways um you know which is why you know when you're on a cruise today you you sit back and you say the experience feels and very much like it did uh, pre-covid and the reason for that is most of those things happen behind the scenes and of course, you know, you were doing that before because of the old days of the norovirus. That's right. That's right? right. Exactly. Right. I mean, you already had the hand sanitation systems in every public area. Well, that's, yeah. And, 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 and you know, I think the one thing about a, a cruise environment is just you, people are together for a week period of time. So you, you kind of understand where the source of things are versus did you pick it up on, a, on an airplane? Did you pick it up on a restaurant and so forth? And so we've always taken, again, the health and safety of our guests as a number one priority which is why we've, we've had very similar protocols in place for, for decades. You know, one of the things that came up in the travel industry, not just the cruise industry during the pandemic, the biggest, the second biggest complaint from consumers was insurance, mm-hmm. and the first biggest complaint was, was refunds, right? So the second biggest complaint was, uh, for example, if you go online and make an airline reservation, you can't complete that transaction unless you either opt in or opt out of the insurance, and you don't even know what you're covered for. Right. But people with the best of intentions, oh, I better do that, and then they found out during the pandemic that on page 95 of the insurance company website, which nobody ever got to, was a paragraph that said, oh, by the way, we don't cover for pandemic, bye-bye, right? right? And whoops, that was that was a lost cause, right? The second biggest complaint, or the first biggest complaint was, was refunds, where you know people literally could not get their money back from tour operators and travel agencies and stuff. And it, it, it exposed essentially a, a financial flaw in the system Right, because, for example, I can't sell a house without money being put in escrow. Right, right. That big six-letter word. Yep. And you're a finance guy. You yep, co- sure. you come from finance. I come right? from finance. Yeah. Are we going to get to a point in in the travel industry, or in particular the cruise industry, where escrow comes into play as a, as a reassurance to the public, so that if I book a cruise, for example, on Royal Caribbean, and it's six months from now, that money goes to a third-party escrow. And then it doesn't get released into, to you guys until I'm on the ship. Yeah. Well, well there's, there's actually a lot of insurance mechanisms um, about, you know, and bonding that happens behind the customer deposits. Um, and I think we actually showed through, through this pandemic that you know, while it was a little bit choppy in the beginning, just because process-wise... You didn't have enough people to process it. We didn't have enough people to process it. You know, we, we, you know, we were able to either offer our, our customers a future cruise certificate with a 25% 
premium to it, um, or uh, we were able to you know, to you know, to give them their money back. And and I think that you know that again that kind of comes down to you know you know the balance sheet that we had. You know, I think you need to make sure you have the right balance sheet. Um, it was unencumbered. Um, again, there's the right bonding behind those things. The you know there's credit card processors and so forth that are behind right. these things to make sure that. Our, our customers protected. I mean, if you really kind of step back on the cruising side, on the cruise side, you know, wh while there's there's a little bit, you know, certain lines that that had some real challenges with it. For the most part, once everybody was able to get the staffing needed to handle the processing, they processed this, it. They were able to process it. Well, you mentioned the credit card processors. I learned a uh, a new term during the pandemic: holdback. Holdback. Yep. Right. Explain that. Well, it, well, a holdback would be like if you if you if you do actually you know if you book something you put something on on, on, on your credit card, the, the the credit card processors sometimes depending on the financial the profile of, it, yeah. of, of the of the organization will hold back a certain amount of those um, those funds um, and and really getting closer to the sale dates. I, it's almost a negative self fulfilling prophecy because if the if the company's not properly capitalized, and then you do holdbacks, you accelerate their demise. You could that you could, and there were definitely I think some people in the industry that that felt that uh, more than others. Yeah. yeah. Well, we just went through that with Crystal. That's yeah, that's exactly right. right. And they left something like 150 million dollars unrefunded. Wow. I know yeah. that's yeah. tough. It's tough. But from an industry perspective, since you're one of the bigger players on the block, what do you tell consumers now to give them the confidence to cruise that that can't be repeated? Well, I, one, I, I think looking at, at our financial profile and also I think the safeguards, again, that the bonding and governments have, have put in place for many, many decades, really really has your money in a, in a very very safe location. Um, and, and you know, we, we knew in the early days that I mean, if we needed to, to refund back, we were going to be in that position to do so. I, so I think with the larger, at least for the larger players, that's not something that I would say is, should be a concern of the consumer. Um, you know, and I don't think cruising should be a concern of the, of the consumer uh, as well. You know, in the idea of connecting the dots, if a cruise ship doesn't sail mm -hmm. for whatever reason, how many jobs are affected? Right? You got it's the guys who supply the ship with the the beer. It's the it's the it's the taxi drivers. It's the limo drivers. It's the the bus tour guys, and they get to the ports. It's the souvenir stores. It's the it's the restaurants. I mean, there's so many different ancillary beneficiaries or victims well, well yeah so I mean if you if you step back and you look at um, how, how how a cruise ship impacts an economy and especially economies I mean we go to a thousand different locations and sometimes we're bringing a hundred guests and sometimes we're bringing you know five or six thousand guests and what that brings to that local economy is pretty significant I mean just for and then of course you know, we're based in South Florida we do a lot of our our sourcing of our goods and services, you know, from from the from the U.S. and other local sourcing markets around the world. So there's there's a very large ecosystem um, that you know these are floating cities, right? So you know that you know, you know that makes sure that we're able to perform and deliver the best vacations in the world. So when that didn't happen, that didn't just trickle down; that tumbled down. It tumbled down, and and that's also why as we kind of were coming back, you know, everybody was very motivated to work through what are the the the, the process and protocols. For us to return to all these different destinations, because you know we're a very large um, slice of, of their of their local economies. So, you talked earlier about the lessons that were learned. Let's talk about that. Not just the lessons that were learned, but the lessons that were applied. What are you doing differently now, as a result of the pandemic, that you never even would have thought of before? Well, I, I mean, there 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 are certainly things in which um, you know, in terms of you know, the, you know, the, you know, we never thought about the testing elements, the quarantine. So there's those things that I think will evaporate 
um, here here over time. But when you look at the you know the the actual experience in itself, it actually looks and feels very similar. I think the difference is really uh, and and it's it's might it might be a little bit more kind of touchy feely is how much everybody really appreciates um, the business, how much you know we appreciate each other, um, and we don't take anything for granted. And so I think with that, there's another lens just to make sure that you know that we're we're really focused on on the experience and 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 making sure we're doing what's you know what's what's always responsible. You know, we talked about all the ships that were already in the shipyards during the pandemic that are now coming out, including this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into the shipyards now, what lessons did you learn during the pandemic that you're applying to the new builds that are still in the shipyards now? Well, I, I think when you when you get into some of the mechanics, you know, just you know, ventilation. You know, we're putting best best you know best practices into all of our ventilations. We're putting best practice into. Um, all the all the all the behind the scenes things, just more around the experience than it is around like safety and health. But um, but I think that's I think where the focus has been. Now, as we think about what's ha- you know as we're building the ships and and in uh, it, it, we're still very much as you said takes three to five years. So we're very much still focused on making sure we're designing to the customer of today and the customer of tomorrow, uh, you know, to make sure we're delivering on the experience. And now I'm going to ask you to take off your CEO hat. Okay. Put on your passenger hat. Okay. When you walk on on one of your ships, how do you know that it's working well? Yeah. Well, one um, one you can you can look at different things. Uh, you know, first you look at you know are there smiles constantly on people's face, and we do that very well. Um, we you know you can also look at queuing and you know are people waiting in lines in any way whatsoever. And I think our brands have done an exceptional job. Um, and of course, our ships are built with much more public space. Um, than than others in the industry to make sure that the experience is very personalized um, and 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 great. You know, you can also just just watch at how people are experiencing uh, the product, and you can tell very quickly whether or not there's a breakdown in in process or a breakdown in the experience. As you guys have some of the bigger ships on the market, in fact, you have the biggest ships sure, in the right. market. You mentioned queuing. As you look at your time and motion studies, you try to figure out how do you move all these people from one place to another within the ship or outside the ship to get to the ship. What did you learn about the queuing and what did you learn about the lines? Well, you know, years ago, I mean, this is decades ago. I mean, queuing and 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 really measuring uh, time has always been very front and center in the design of the ships and also the design of the product. The reality of it is, is on on all of our brands, there are so many incredible experiences to do. Um, that really touch different levels of of, of, uh, of demographics that are on your ships. That really, what happens is you don't really get the queuing. Uh, people behave. There are so many people who are going to do the rock climbing wall. That's right. You and I are not those two people. Not not those two people. I just double checking that we're on. Yeah, on double the same check. Yeah, okay, that, fine. That, that, that's exactly. So we won't be lining up there. We won't be lining up on the rock wall, but you know there'll be people that are you know and, and lining up. I mean, it might be two or three people deep. Because right. then there's people that are on the golf course, on the on the on the mini golf. There are people that are on the flow rider. There are people that are enjoying the culinary experience. There are people looking at the Broadway shows, and and so there's there's. Have you done the flow rider? I have done the flow rider, not successfully. I, I, I knew I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah, not standing successfully. I've done it. I've done it uh, laying down and on my knees, but right. standing up uh, not so well. Okay, yeah. but so that you be able to like dissipate the lines. Yeah, and and that's and 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 also that comes into really effective communication and opening up other venues and and understanding the movement of of, of people in real time. Because because one of my and excuse us to sound silly, but I mean one of my fears is that if I'm on a, on a ship with six thousand passengers and we show up in Belize, how the hell do you get people off that ship in a reasonable amount of time? 
Yeah, well, well, there's, there's uh, a lot of it is, you know, with when we look at our shore excursion activities, you know, it's looking at the timing on people. You are, stagger it. You stagger it. Um, we have lots of different um, um, ways of getting off of the ship. And, uh, and, and then, of course, understanding what are the experiences that people are going to be doing. Um, and, and then, like you said, it's kind of staggering that throughout the, you know, the, the period of time. What you really don't see is you don't see long lines. Um, and, that's, and that just comes from a lot of hard work. And our operators spend countless hours making sure that doesn't happen. So the ship does not list heavily to port during the buffet? Right, that's right. <laughs> just double checking. Yeah, okay. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the smaller ships. This is a smaller ship, smaller ship yeah. the Silver Dawn. Only 298 suites, maybe 600 and so odd passengers. Yep, yeah. You have a wonderful crew to, to, to passenger ratio with the butlers. Different experience. Different experience. Well, you know, we really, um, as, and as some of this was pre-pandemic, and we saw a little bit of this as we, as we had sold Azamara during the pandemic. We really had tuned into what segments we thought were the segments that we wanted to be in and that we wanted to address. And, you know, we go from very kind of multi-generational um, to very kind of ultra luxury, um, a, a little bit more of a mature clientele, and we wanted to have the right brands to address those different current demographics and those those emerging demographics over time. I'll tell you a story that happened during the last sort of a crisis moment down 2009, the economic debacle. Yep. I was in Paris working on a story, and I walked into a major branded U.S. hotel, and the lobby was filled. The hotel was oversold by Americans in the middle of the, of, the, of the economic downturn. And I said to everybody, wait, you did realize, of course, there's, there's, you know, the stock market's crashing, yeah. people are out of work. Why are you here? Well, we, we felt we needed to be here. Why? Well, we felt if we didn't come now, we'd never go. <laughs> and it was multi-generational. They brought, the grandparents brought the grandkids. Everybody, and it was sort of a last supper mentality, right? So anytime we, we saw it after 9-11, we saw it now after 2009, are we gonna see that now? Well, you, you, you definitely see, so I, I would say pre-pandemic and, you're, and you're now it has now come back to it, people are trading stuff for experiences, right? And so you know, we're in the experience business and multi-generational travel or just this pent-up demand to, exp you know, to experience and explore um, is, at, is at the highest levels that we've ever seen it before. So I do think you're, you, you do see this avalanche um, of demand that some of that's pent up because they didn't experience things over the past couple of years. And also the consumer has, has more money in their pocket to go out and, and, and spend. But there's also almost a generational shift in what their priorities are. Well, yeah, so they, and, and that's exactly right. They have shifted. And of course, with, with you know, more people graduating into retirement, there's a real thirst to really do two things. One is to hit bucket list experiences and that they've always wanted to go. But two, you know, they, a lot of people had delayed their retirements. And so they want to make up for that time with their kids and their grandchildren. And so you see, you see this burst of multi-generational travel. It's interesting because during the pandemic, there was a survey. I know you didn't participate in it, and I didn't participate in it, but it was a real survey that said 38% of Americans would gladly give up sex for a year if they could travel. Wow, that's, that's a... wild, right? And I said, wow, like, well, I guess now everybody can have sex again. That's right. And they can travel. <laughs> but the other survey that I saw, which I thought was even more important, was that given the choice of buying a new car or having a travel experience, they're sliding over to the experience. Yeah. Well, you know, as I said, like pre-pandemic, you saw like this, this, this cross where experience became much more important than stuff. During the pandemic, that switched again, right? And so people were buying more stuff because they were at home buying Amazon and other, and other, and other it things. It got crazy. Got crazy. For you too. Oh, absolutely. How much did you order? I ordered a lot. I, <laughs> I, well, and, and also because you know, we, were, we were at that time working virtually, 
I got to watch the you number of Amazon. You were buying stuff you never even wanted. Yep. Well, and, and I was and I was watching what was showing. You know, I you know married. I have four children. I I couldn't believe how much Amazon was showing up at my house every single day. So yeah, the stuff was there, but you saw in the first quarter of this year that that line switched, and now that line is you know is now kind of going back very high north um, on experiences, and I think that's you know just another kind of supporting factor of a, of a trend for uh, for cruise and for travel. And in that in that case, you're also seeing some demographic changes. You're seeing age median age coming down. Yep. That's right. So so we we've been seeing this for a while where you know the average age whether it's on our Royal Celebrity or Silver Sea brand has has been getting younger and younger. And a lot of that's more the first or that first to cruise uh, you know coming um, into play. And the real driver of it I I believe and, I, and there's data to support it is really the advocacy and the, and the benefits of social media, right? The, abi- the ability to see and experience through the eyes of your friends and family um, stimulate, and all of a sudden you sit there and say you know, to your spouse, how come we're not you know, uh, uh, kayaking next to a glacier in Alaska? Um, that looks like an incredible experience, and it's bringing in um, through the eyes of, of friends and family uh, what an incredible experience cruising is. So on this particular ship, the Silver Dawn, your market age is coming down. Yep. Your physical activity levels are going up. Yep, yep. And it's not an inexpensive proposition, and people are spending the money. Yeah, they are, and 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 I and I think I think the key the key element is that a lot of it orbits around the experience. Um, you know, you know, the, the, you know what you experience here on board, which is at the highest levels on the culinary and entertainment and accommodation side, um, is 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 fantastic. But when we now take it onto shore, and you're able to have such an incredible immersive experience. That's what people thirst for. They, they thirst for exploration and education, um, and they want to be able to walk away with the story, and that's what Silver Sea delivers. So let's, let's crystal ball this, okay. right? Three years from now, right? Because you had your projections three years ago. That didn't quite work out, but it didn't work out for anybody. That's right. right? <laughs> but three years from now, where do you see the fleet? Where do you see your ports? Where do you see your customers? Yeah. Well, on, on the fleet side, I mean, we, we will continue to grow at about 5% a year. Um, so you know, we know between now and 2026 um, how our fleet is going to grow. And how so, many ships coming in? Uh, there's 12 uh, ships wow. on, on order that are, you know, that are coming in. Um, we actually take delivery of Celebrity Beyond uh, uh, next week. Um, so, you know, so we know, how the, we know how the fleet is going to grow. Um, I, think, I, I think on the consumer side, you'll see behavior very similar to pre-COVID. I mean, we already see that in the and the booking activities that are there. Uh, the experience will look and feel like it did uh, pre-COVID. Uh, I, I th- we, we feel very good about that. And, and you'll see us going to more destinations as during the pandemic, interesting enough, a lot of governments continued to invest um, in their infrastructure um, on the ports and so forth to, you know, to expand the offering. You know, in the traditional travel industry playbook, if you have a downturn, you discount your way out. You can't do that now. No, and well, I mean, I, I think you, you know one thing about the cruise industry is you can always stimulate on price if you want to, um, but you know I think a lot, of, especially for us, you know, price integrity is really important because this is not a this is not a uh, you know a uh, affordability or a, a a consumer demand issue. This is you know really getting you know a a crisis a you know that you know that we all experienced here around COVID, you know that kind of evaporating um, in, in in terms of the psyche of the consumer and. You know, there's clear people want to travel, they want to experience, they want to explore. Um, we, just, you know, you know, we just need consistency, which is what we're experiencing today, um, so people understand what their vacation experiences ha- is going to be like and also to make sure it occurs. So instead of discounting, you're doing value-added? 
doing value added and, and or you know the value added element of it, which I would say is more packaging. That's more tuned into what exactly it is that that customer is looking for. Like we're trying to get more and more. Let me guess: free Wi-Fi. Free Wi-Fi, right? You want to have high, you know, you want to have access. You know, you become very connected. So, so Wi-Fi is a very important element of that. Um, but people also want, you know, you know, packing. I mean, on Silver Sea, it's an all-inclusive sure. um, experience. But you know, on the Royal side, you know, you know, some people are really interested in Wi-Fi. Some people are really interested in beverage or culinary. And so we try to tune Be- our it. Beverage, I'm surprised. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Shocking, uh, yes, shocking. Yeah, shocking. Yeah, shocking. Yeah. Yeah, gambling going on at Rick's Casino. That's right. That's exactly. Right. That's right. <laughs> so you, you could actually tailor that to individual needs. That's right. And, and that's really uh, on the next journey on the technology side is, is really tuning in, um, you know, th- whether it's the offer, whether it's the experience, to make it more personalized. Um, we, we think that's very important. I guess your challenge is to drive revenue without ruining the experience. Well, that's right. We, we want to drive re- revenue by really enhancing, you know, enhancing the experience, uh, not really you know, cutting back the experience. And you see, even today, whether you're on our royal brand, celebrity brand, or silver sea brand, they're, they're, you know, while we obviously gone through a very challenging period of time, you know, the, we, we've enhanced the products, the experience, the assets themselves have been exp- have been enhanced. Um, you know, you, what, how we were investing pre-pandemic as well as through the pandemic, you know, in order to make sure that when we came out of this that uh, our business looked and felt better than it did before. And of course, speaking of the pandemic, we're never probably gonna ever eradicate the virus. The key is how do we manage it? That's exactly right. Um, And and, who knows how how it works out over time, but as we've now turned that corner, we're in an endemic um, phase here, and we have shown, this industry has shown, there's no place safer to be than on a cruise ship. I mean, mean, if you look at statistically the numbers, Um, you know, are much better than what you see day-to-day in society. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. My thanks to Jason. Matthew Upchurch always seems a step ahead when it comes to travel trends. And he's been measuring pent-up demand for the first three months of 2022. And his report might just surprise you. Matthew, as we emerge from the pandemic, as we see the protocols and restrictions either being relaxed or basically eliminated around the world for testing, for quarantine, uh, for vaccination proof, I mean, all these things are changing by the hour. Not, it's not a question of how many people are traveling. The real question is who's traveling and who's coming out first Who and where are they going? What, do you, what trends are you actually seeing? Well, actually, there. I mean, the the pent up demand is so real, and you know, a lot of people said it was all the young people. But what we're saying is, one of our primary markets is, you know, the the, the baby boomers, right? And they are the ones. I mean, look at it. We had a, uh, you know, we had a sellout of a world cruise that w- happened in thirty minutes, for example. I mean, you're talking about big ticket items. By the way, big ticket item. I know the cruise. It was Oceania. They put on their world cruise for 2024. Think about this. In, and it was a 180-day cruise where the minimum cabin price was $47,000 per person. That's in that's two times that for the cabin. And it went up to $190,000. That's what sold out in 30 minutes. That'll tell you a lot. 
Well, if that doesn't show pent up demand, but I said, what's one of the things that's made travel so even before the pandemic is that we've never had five generations of people all traveling and the numbers are traveling today at the same time. Um, and so, you know, as we've have these opening of the borders, as people feel more comfortable, um, and pretty much anywhere that, that's going, um, and, and we're seeing longer stays. I think that's, you know, that's something that happened during the, during the pandemic, longer stays. The other one that I still, that we're seeing it back again is the skip gen where the grandparents take the grandkids and leave the parents behind. That brings me up to something that I've seen right after 9-11. I saw it again in 2008 and nine during the economic downturn. And now again now, I remember walking in to the then Hilton Hotel in Paris in June or July of 2009 at a time when we were all economically hurting. And the hotel was completely full of Americans. I went, what's the disconnect here? And I, and I walked in the lobby and I started asking people the same question. You are aware, of course, that there's an economic debacle happening in the United States, but you're in Paris. Yes. And you're all here. Yeah. And you brought the entire family. Yeah. Why? And I almost got unanimity. They said, we felt if we didn't go now, we'd never go. It was a sort of a last supper approach to travel, but it was multi-generational. Well, and I think what, absolutely, I, I always say that particularly for the United States, you know, I, I grew up, my father's in travel, as you know. I mean, I grew up in this wonderful industry. 9-11 was, really did change uh, American psychology of travel overall. And that, and we did see a huge surge in multi-generational travel afterwards. Um, and I think that, you know, and that actually goes with the whole idea of the evolution that people are spending more time and more money on experiences and on goods. Um, and that's a trend that had already started to happen. Um, you know, I used a quote in a recent talk that says, you know, we didn't sit around in a pandemic um, dreaming of, of another trip to the mall. <laughs> we were dreaming about shared experiences, which is why travel and going out to dinners and whatever, I mean, um, I called home. I'm on a, you know, I'm on a, on a business trip here. I called home. We were, our son is uh, birthdays there. And it was like, we got the last table. So things like that, you know, people, people want to get out there. They want shared experiences. You know, human beings are social animals. It's the only reason we exist. Well, the interesting survey that I saw last year, and something tells you you didn't participate in this survey, and I know I didn't participate in it, but the results were fascinating. 38% of Americans in a survey taken just a year ago said they'd willingly give up sex for a year just to be able to travel again. So I guess you and I can sit here right now, Matthew, and tell everybody it's okay to have sex again. <laughs> it is okay to have sex again and travel. <laughs> or while you're traveling, I guess. But but that gives you an indication of how the values have changed, that people are not... If you, if you gave people a choice between a new car and a trip to Antarctica, chances are 10 years ago they would have gone for the car. Now they're going for Antarctica. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I just turned 60 and I, my last continent was Antarctica and that's where I was with my family uh, on New Year's Day. So I, I brought in this year in, in Antarctica and it was an incredible experience. Closest thing, by the way, I've ever been to like being off this off, off this planet um, and just really amazing. And, and then the, the work that's being done down there. I think the other thing that I think a lot of people didn't understand is that travel and tourism is also a huge uh, supporter of scientific research and conservation and helping local economies. And, you know, we a lot of governments and people kind of had an eye opening over that. But the bottom line is now, as we emerge again, who's doing the travel? Is it all multi-generational or are people coming out that, you, that are surprising you that are traveling? 
Well, I mean, it's. I, I think the. I think the one that people would say is surprising is the 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 you know the older generation. I mean, the 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 wealthiest group of consumers in the United States in the next fifteen years are going to be single women over seventy. So everybody talks about you know the the growth of millennials and all these different generations, but it is an and business. That's why I, I, I when when I talk about this, it really is amazing how all the various different generations. The younger generations may have not may have as much money to spend or disposable income, but they have prioritized their spending on 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 experiences even more than any other generation. But let's go back to that figure which you just gave me: the largest number of, of wealthy people, single women over seventy, yeah. looking for people looking for husbands who were terminally ill and heavily insured. I don't know; it's just just a thought. I don't know. No, that that actually well, a good friend of mine is Dr. Ken Dykewald, and he started Age Wave, and he's the one he's kind of consider the expert on baby boomers and he's the one I heard about that but it's it's just it's normal I mean the baby boomers are seeing the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of the planet and as somebody I said this to somebody last night is who you know was married an older couple he goes well that's not good news for me I said but it's just actuarial tables I can't do anything about that right but of course I think you would say that an overwhelming number of decision makers when it comes to travel are women well that <laughs> By the way, that's been real, or maybe it wasn't admitted for a long time, but it's a real thing. Um, and then it's 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 women, and it, and by the way, also uh, children are influencing travel more than they ever have as well. In what way? Because basically, uh, parents. I mean, we were talking about parents, grandparents. The grandparents want to take someone; they don't want to bond. The parents, you know, want want to make sure that uh, they're creating global citizens, people that are well educated, they're competitive, um, and. It's also the one time, I mean, when I was in Antarctica, I mean, you know, we all as parents work on, you know, minimizing screen time, and there's nothing like travel to minimize screen time. Especially in Antarctica. You actually are confronted with yourself. You, you realize how small you are, you realize how unimportant you are in the overall scheme of things as you look out that window and realize where you are, and that really is eye-opening, literally, because... You know, you don't have access to all the other things that we've grown accustomed to having. Well, let me give you a real specific situation. It's very close to me and personal. Our, our younger son just applied for high school, and you had to do an essay. And his essay was about how we were in a blizzard, we did this, we did that, and how going to Antarctica pushed him you know, beyond limits that he didn't know he had. And so things that he did, because they had some amazing, we went to White Desert, and there was, they had these uh, mountain guides. And, you know, he did things that he didn't know he could do. And just really being out there with people from different cultures, but in nature, um, it was pretty cool to watch him write his essay to get into high school around what happened and how Antarctica changed him. And of course, you know, beware the law of unintended consequences with the pandemic and the need for social distancing. You went to the one place where social distancing was sort of baked into the deal. Yeah, and it's you know there's there's it's you know the camp that we were in. I mean, it's only twelve people at a time anyway. Um, so, but I did go to uh, our older son because I. By the way, one thing I didn't know I didn't know the South Pole was what nine thousand three hundred feet. I mean, to get there, I did. It's like altitude sickness. <laughs> I did not know that, but I went there with. Uh, you know, nobody thinks of the South Pole as being high because it's so low. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't, you look at it in a linear way. You can't. Yeah, I mean, because you look at it, it's just flat, right? I mean, it's it's whatever. But it was it was quite amazing to be you know at the South Pole with our with our uh, older son, and uh, again, just an experience that that we'll never forget. But 
the uh, the other part that was cool about there, I did ask my son. He said, "Well, you know, Dad, if if Antarctica doesn't belong to anybody, whose laws apply?" Of course, my first question was, "Why are you asking? <laughs> what did you do last night?" <laughs> but it was it was really interesting to see. I mean, it's really kind of like the the way the Antarctica works. So, for example, the whole aviation program down there was all our all our pilots were Canadian, right? And the entire uh, aviation program was run under Transport Canada laws, so it was really interesting to see this, you know, collaboration. I know crystal balling is dangerous because things are changing by the hour. But in the last, let's say, three months, as you see travel start to come back, my concern is travel providers going back to sort of like pre-pandemic bad behavior. You know, all of a sudden resort fees coming in and, and other charges. We found one hotel in Indiana charging a $3.87 night surcharge for electricity. We found another, oh yeah, we found another hotel to put on a $5 a night housekeeping tip on your bill without telling you. You know, when are we going to get to the point where people are being transparent? Because I don't think most people would would have, would have dispute the idea that housekeepers need to be tipped. But it's a question of, of how you do it. Well, obviously, Virtuoso primarily focuses on the, you know, luxury and experiential level. So a lot of those machinations happen uh, in the broader market. But, uh, you know, one thing that's, that's a big issue for us as advisors is the fact that, you know, who's really able to do that? I mean, I, for example, feel that the hoteliers that capped their occupancy based on how well they could service it, right? So I don't allow my hotel to be filled up if I don't have the right staff and then the right levels of stuff like that. And then some of these other practices, um, you know, it, it's something that, that kind of nickel and diming all the time um, is, is – but. I've been this. I've been in this business my whole life. It's one of the reasons why travel advisors, by the way, still exist. Um, you know, for years people used to say, "Well, isn't it true that travel advisors send people because they pay them more, right, to, from this partner to that partner?" And I said, "When you're dealing with some of the most sophisticated travelers in the world, it's exact opposite. We actually send more people to the places that really take care of our clients, right, and that's why we give them more more business." You mentioned nickel and diming. I recommend a book to everybody. It was out of print for a long time. It's now back in print. You can get it. It's written by Mark Twain, not the book you think. It's a book called The Innocence Abroad. A great read. Most people don't realize that Mark Twain literally traveled around the world in the 1800s. I mean, some places that you'd never think anybody would ever travel then. You know, he was in the Middle East. He was in the Gulf. He was in crazy places. But the one thing that came through in the book, and isn't it interesting, it was written more than 100 years ago, he was complaining about being nickeled and dimed by hotels. In those days, it wasn't the resort fee. It was about a bar of soap or charging him for a candle so he could read at night. I mean, very interesting thing. So we have certain behavior patterns that seem to persist, and people still don't get it, that it's not the rate, it's the value. And you just hit the nail on the head. It's a value. One of the issues, not just in travel, but in, you know, merchandising of all kinds of things, that's always been, you know, because that's the trick. It's like, let me give you this low price, but then what you don't know is uh, everything else that's coming. So, you know, when when we think about, you know, when we talk about pricing, you know, we, we honestly want to work with the clients that understand that there's a difference. Warren Buffett nailed it. You know, price is what you pay, value is what you get. <laughs> so if you don't put a little bit of, you know, if, if the Oracle of Omaha has got that straight, I think he might know something about finances, but... That's it. It's like, you know, and there's so many machinations, there's so many tricks of the trade and all this kind of stuff that, that, that do that. Um, so, you know, whether you do use an advisor or not, the point is make sure that you're focusing on the value, not the price. 
Right, and that's the thing that travelers need to do. It's not just waiting for the hotel to do it. You can actually be an advocate for this. You get to vote with your wallet. I'm not telling anybody that they shouldn't make a profit. That's the that's the argument that I always have. Everybody's in business to make a profit, otherwise they're not going to be in business. I get that. But it's how you do the business accounts. You know, I would rather them, look, if your electricity costs just went up, fine, I get it. Put it in the rate. But don't tell me at the end when I'm checking out, oh, by the way, we did this. Oh, we, we didn't bother to tell you that we're adding $3. $3. I was at a restaurant the other night. Now, think about this. I'm at a restaurant, and I hate to use the words fine dining, because every time I hear the words fine dining, well, really, you have a crappy dining room too? I mean, okay, so I'm at this fine dining restaurant, and, and with menu items, I've, I've been there before. It's menu items I know, I expect. One of the reasons why I come back. And there's a thing at the top of the menu that says, uh, by the way, we're adding a $1.37 charge for bread. Uh, well, excuse me? I mean, a $1.37 charge for bread. Now, do they have to tell me that? Why don't they just increase the cost of the salmon by 60 cents and the, and the, and the truffle macaroni and cheese by 70 cents? There's your $1.30. But by doing that, it, all, it just cheapens the experience and it makes you go, well, what else are they doing? The cynic in me comes out flaming when that happens. Well, and again, I mean, it's 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 a two, you know, there's two play this game. One is the, you know, like I think of one legitimate business. If if, if I hear certain spikes and things, I can't change the menu, blah, 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 blah. But really, it's also our responsibility as consumers, right? And as you say, I mean, it's like, how do how do we vote with our wallets and basically give our money to the, the, the organizations and the people and the people we do business that, that don't do that? It gets down to this. I'm at that restaurant because I like that restaurant. So what's my tipping point? Probably a lot further down the road than you think. If you want to bury that $1.31 in the cost of the salmon, I'm not walking out of the restaurant. You tell me that you're going to charge me $1.31 for bread? Bye bye Well, the, the, in, in, you know, in, in, the, in the luxury travel side, right, they finally, they pretty much everybody finally got, but you would pay, you know, $1,000, $2,000 for a suite, and then there's a, oh, here's your bottle of water for $7. You want to talk about mad? <laughs> it's like... You know, what do you think, I'm a schmuck, right? It's like, it's crazy. It's insulting. My thanks to Matthew. Chris Gray-Faust, the managing editor of CruiseCritic.com, has just a few things to say on the brave new world of cruise ship options, ports, and pricing. Chris, you're on a new ship. This is nothing new to you. This is what you do for a living. But let's take a, a bigger, broader view of this. Is the cruise industry coming back, and in what ways? Well, I think what's really exciting, this is a year of new ships because so many things were delayed because of the pandemic. I mean, Silver Dawn is one of at least 22 new cruise ships coming out in 22. So there's more ships than ever that are newer for people. So if people are looking for these cruises, there's a lot of new options for them. And of course, the new ships, as, as are the older ships, They've all been reconfigured to conform with the CDC protocols. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the pandemic is still with us. And so the cruise industry is still dealing with it as best they can, as best of all travel is doing. But bottom line is you're seeing, and I, I hate the words. I, I, I actually, I, I keep saying this. I don't like the three words pent up demand, or if you hyphenated two words, because the demand has already been there. It's just been refocused now. Well, that's exactly it. You know, as you know, Cruise Critic uh, surveys our readers constantly. Like every few weeks during the pandemic, we have been surveying 
saying our readers. You know, all right. Get, so let's go back yeah. two years ago. The, the the survey was basically we love to go cruising, but right now we're staying home. Exactly. You know that, but they couldn't go anywhere because the cruise industry was you know not not moving at that point. But what we're seeing is right now our latest survey. You know, sixty three percent of our readers are ready to get back right now, and they are they are looking, they're booking their ships. You know, forty three percent of those cruisers are looking to go in the next few months. And the other thing that's interesting more that close found, in bookings. Yeah, they're they're starting to now that you know they're 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 watching the variants now that Omicron had gone down. You know, maybe now it's going back up. But you know, when that first Omicron hit in January, there was a little bit of a depression. They said, you know, we're going to wait a few weeks, a few months. Now we're seeing that they're ready to get back out there for summer. And the thing is, you know, the worst four letter word that starts with F when it comes to travel is fear. Yes. You know, and of course, the subtext during the entire pandemic is, well, I don't want to go from A to B and then get stuck in B and not be able to get home. Right. right. And so then you had robust testing, a lot of uh, not just cruise lines, but resorts and hotels saying, don't worry, we'll get you tested here. And should you test positive, we'll take care of you. We'll write, you'll fly you back. I mean, right now, in order to get on this ship, of course, you had to show proof of vaccination and you had to be tested before you could get on the ship, meaning not before you got on your plane, before you got on the ship. And then, of course, because of the U.S. rules, we have to get tested 24 hours before we go home to be able to comply with that. That's correct. And I think that for right now, some of that testing will remain because the cruise ships still want to have that that pristine environment. They want people to feel safe when they're on the ships. And I think people knowing that everyone around them is vaccinated and tested does lead to some peace of mind while you're cruising. Although at the same time, you know, let's be clear, you're going to get some breakthrough cases. Uh, It's inevitable. We had it on Royal Caribbean a couple of weeks ago where you had about 48 cases of, on a ship that was carrying, you know, 4,300 passengers, um, that's a 1.5% caseload. That's remarkably low. Well, particularly if you think about what things are like on land. And that has been one thing that I know the cruise industry has struggled with is why are they being treated differently than uh, travel and, and situations on land? All right, answer that question. Well, you know, I... I don't, I think I'm with everyone else that the, cru- the cruise industry is just wondering why, you know, they're having regulations that are stricter than everyone. And I think, you know, it's a closed environment. It's that kind of thing. And, um, you know, they're regulated directly by the CDC, unlike some of the other uh, forms of travel. Right. There's no CDC survey on hotels. There's no Correct. CDC survey on airlines. It's a CDC focused on cruise lines. Correct. Correct. I mean, and what, you know, what the takeaway is here for cruise passengers is that the, the health guidelines are going to be stricter on sea than they are on land. And so when you get on board, you know that you're going to be in that safe environment. And, you know, the cruise lines went through their own period of, of, of uh, challenge with norovirus. This is nothing new to them in terms of trying to manage something. Well, correct. Yeah, they're, they're always the, the cruise lines have always been out there trying to make, have the best uh, sanitary uh, processes possible. Now, having said that, we're dealing with, you know, as you said at the beginning, new ships coming online and new ports. Uh, because you can't look at this in a vacuum. You, you can have a ship that's ready to go, but a port that says we're not so sure yet. A lot of ports, have, you know, were shut down. A lot of ports are having regulations that if you have one case, you can't you can't dock the ship. Yeah, that's true. What we're telling passengers is really this, it still is a little bit in flux and that itineraries still do change. And so really that's, it makes it almost more important to pick the right ship for you because your port might change. And by the way, this is nothing new in the cruise industry. Anybody who signs a contract to go on a cruise ship, it's in the contract that the cruise line reserves the right to substitute ports in terms of weather, civil disturbance, or force majeure or act beyond their control. Uh, You got to roll with it. 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Alaska's back now? Yes, yes. That is a really exciting news for the cruise industry and in that we're going to have a full season in Alaska. Last year... But I have a question to ask. Mm-hmm. I mean, be, when I said beware the law of unintended consequences, when Alaska, you know, the whole season shut down because you couldn't get through Canada, right? The Canadian ports were shut and under the Vessel Act of 1886, I believe, uh, there was a law on the books that said no ship uh, registered you know, outside the United States could go between two, U- two uh, U.S. ports without stopping in a foreign port first. That's how the Alaska cruise season began. Started years ago. You had to stop in Canada. That's why so many cruises started in Vancouver. They didn't start in Seattle. But then President Biden signed a waiver that allowed that act to be suspended for the Alaska cruise season, which meant that, with that even though you had a limited season last year, that meant that you didn't have to stop in any Canadian port. You could go nonstop from Seattle to, uh, to Juneau. Is that going to stay? Because I'm thinking thinking that when that happened, a lot of people loved the idea they'd see more of Alaska, they'd have more days at sea, and they didn't have to stop in Canadian ports. Well, the thing is, some of those Canadian ports are, are actually lovely. Oh, I, I mean, know that. You know, know Victoria that. on Vancouver Island is great, and I know that the Canadians are, the, those ports are so excited to have cruise ships back. That That's in April. April 6th, I believe, is the first but, ship uh, but I guess, there. But the question I was asking, Chris, is that so many cruise lines had no choice but to but to pivot on their schedules and to avoid Canadian ports, and a lot of passengers said, oh, I like that extra day at sea. Is that coming back? You know, I think what I think cruisers are actually going to prefer the traditional stop because you do you are in more protected waters. When you had to go around the Canadian uh, ports, you actually were out in open water a little bit, which made a rockier type of uh, cruise experience. Right. So now we're back to kind of that nice, smooth sailing inside passage, and I think a lot of people actually enjoy that better. Now, of course, you still have ports that are closed. Uh, you still have Australia maybe open, maybe not. New Zealand maybe open, maybe not. Uh, Japan, so much of Asia still closed. So a lot of, and of course, because of Ukraine, you have St. Petersburg off limits, Odessa, the Black Sea, all those are, are now the Russian Far East, no longer destinations that cruise ships can go. Yeah, it's been, it's a challenge. I mean, 2022 is a challenging year for sure, particularly with these destinations, which again means that you really have to make sure that you're picking the ship that you like, that you really like, for example, being here on Silver Dawn, this is a luxury ship, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, the top of the line, uh, five-star service, that kind of thing. And so you really need to know that you're going to enjoy that onboard experience because your ports might be up in the air. And that, you know, with enough caviar, I guess I could be in Newark. Well, that, you know, as long as you're enjoying yourself with the new spa treatments and that kind of thing. I mean, that, I, I do think it's more important than ever to make sure you're on the right ship for you. Also, a trend that was happening before the pandemic, which I supported, I loved it, was how many, I, I know Celebrity did this, they rearranged their itineraries to spend more overnights. Yeah. Meaning, you're not showing up at 8 o'clock in the morning, buying a t-shirt, having a pina colada, and racing back to the ship to leave at 5. You actually had a chance to immerse yourself in the culture where the ship stayed overnight, and you could literally go out and see the city. Yeah, and that's really nice. You can try the cuisine in the city. Um, I, th- I do think that people like that pace a little bit more, where they are able to see a little bit more authentic version of these ports, that they're able to have a meal, that they're able to stay a little bit later and see what it's like a little bit after, you know, at, at sunset, that kind of thing. Enjoy a drink as the sun sets, you know, that sort of thing. But, that's, nice. but th- it becomes an appetizer. 
Yes, exactly. Or, or I should say a better appetizer, because the old version was always still an appetizer. You're just erasing. Yeah. Well, having two days in a port, which often happens these days, that's actually great, because then you really, you're not rushing. You know, you can get up a little bit later and go in and see, see one thing one day, and then see something else, have a completely different experience the next day. And I do think that cruisers are responding to having more time in port. They like that more authentic experience. All right. So I'm, I've saved the inevitable question for last, and that's pricing. You know, in the, in the traditional travel industry playbook, if you have low occupancy or low load factors, uh, you discount. You think you can discount your way out. That hasn't happened in the travel industry this time because it didn't generate during the pandemic. It certainly didn't generate additional traffic. People just weren't going to go. Now, as things are coming out, where does pricing stand? You know, it's been interesting because the first this this first few months, um, you know, we did see that for spring break there were perhaps a little bit lower pricing than um, we typically have. But now that it's starting to come back, you will see those summer fares hold. That that the, the lines and and what they've been doing over the last few years, Peter, and, and I, I know that you know this, they've been doing a lot of more value adds. You know, so they'll keep the price the same, but they might throw in more things like free Wi-Fi or a specialty restaurant package, that kind of thing. So you'll get maybe more for your fare and that's really where they would like to be and prefer to be rather than discounting the prices you know what i love that i, I hate being nickel and dime so if I, as long as i don't have to go to my wallet and you're giving me free wi-fi and i'm paying a little bit more i don't have to think about it that's the key well and that's it and the cruise lines are telling us too and they're saying this in their um their corporate statements and in their uh, conference calls they're saying that that they're getting more revenue per passenger because people are ready to spend my thanks to Chris. When Crystal Cruises failed and then shut down, many passengers were left with deposits that simply disappeared. We're talking about $155 million worth. One travel agent, Mary Jean Tully, was hit the hardest. She's got some lessons to talk about and maybe a few to even apply. Mary Jean, let's talk about what happened to you because you were left holding the bag for how much money? Uh, $1.8 million. Just you personally? Just us personally. But I want to go back just a second, Peter, and say what happened is when this first came out, when in March, we had 112 people on the Crystal Serenity for the World Cruise. COVID hits. So they're trying to get everybody off the ship. This is March home. of 20. March of 20. Okay, so what happened was they were trying to get people home. Some people didn't want to go home. Nobody knew what was going on at this point, right? So at that point, the cruise lines contacted every single one of the clients. Those that were on the ship were, of course, of the utmost concern and sent a letter and said, you can either get your money back, 100% refund, or if you keep your money, we're going to give you a future cruise credit. So when you look at these people on the World Cruise... And how much were they spending? spending? How much were oh, they spending? 150, 250,000. I mean, we had all top suites. Um, the minimum anybody was spending was about $85,000. And let's talk about... This is like about a 180-day itinerary in which... 112 know, day on this That was 112, one. okay. Yes. And so that's, that's a pricey ticket. Absolutely it was. And the problem was is that everybody, nobody in a million years thought that COVID was going to go on for so long. And it was not just Crystal. It was every other sure. cruise line was offering these future cruise credits. So what they were doing, they weren't just saying, here's a future cruise credit. It was a, a huge discount. Yes. If you kept the money there and you just moved it forward. So lo and behold, three months would pass and it's like, okay, there's still, and it was getting worse and worse and countries were closed and, and cruise lines were unable to go at all. And they kept extending it. And we said to some people, look, this is a lot of money. I mean, we had some clients that was $200,000, $250,000. No, 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 we just can't wait to go again. And you've got to understand the the magnitude or, or these people that are on a world cruise, this is like having a condo in Florida. 
every year they go and they stay. This is their home. This is their livelihood. This is what they really is part of their existence for travel. So to them, the thought of doing anything less and now being able to get more money off of it was sounded like a slam dunk for them. And then, well, it was a dunk. It was a dunk. It was a huge dunk. And the problem was, it just got to the point, you know, some people would say, well, did you not see the handwriting on the wall? Well, none of us did. First of all, name me one person or one company that thought COVID would go on as long as it did, or that countries would be closed, or everything like this that happened. So fast forward, um, this has been going on for quite a while now. And so the cruise lines kind of were getting their back up because, you know, they they weren't forthright. Uh, Crystal wasn't forthright in telling everybody what was going on, but you could kind of see not feeling comfortable with things. So I was... Well, they were not feeling comfortable with things because of their own personal financial situation. Exactly. But if you still tried to Google, you know, and you go to Hong Kong, like when I was in Hong Kong right before the, the pandemic hit, everything that you saw had Genting's name on it from all the freight ships to That's their the offices. That's the parent corporation. Yes. So, you know, you're thinking, oh my goodness, Resort World in Las Vegas, all the real estate that they own. You think this is a very profitable company. They own all these shipyards. They had everything. So you weren't, you couldn't find out anything, right? And because it was a Malaysian owned, but based in Hong Kong. So you didn't really know everything that was going on. But not only that, Peter, none of us wanted to know. None of us ever believed that this would happen. This is like the greatest industry in the world. This was a cruise line that every year, consistently, for large cruise, sh- cruise ship won. Best, best of the best. And for 27 years... It had years, a great reputation among passengers. It did. Most of those passengers were repeaters. Yes. And I'm proud to say that, thank you for the compliment about the agency, but for 27 consecutive years, I was their number one global client. For revenue. So you had the number one global exposure, too. Exactly, I did. All right, so now we're about a month and a half after Crystal says bye-bye, mm-hmm. right? Their ships are seized by creditors. Uh, they, they actually tried to get the ships out of places where they could get seized, but they got seized anyway in Bimini and the Bahamas. They didn't have a lot of ships. If you added their river cruises, I think they either had eight or nine ships, yes. right? But their most notorious ships, in terms of the ones that had the most visibility, were their two ocean-going cruise lines, the, the cruise liners, the Serenity and the Symphony. And, the Symphony, and their newest ship, uh, which is a luxury expedition ship called the Endeavor. Yes. We went on the Endeavor. We happened to be in Iceland last July. I was there to do an interview with the president and the first lady, and we noticed the Endeavor was there to begin its maiden voyage with passengers, so we went over to check it out. It was a disaster. It was it was like three months away from really being finished, but they were going to sail it anyway. Mm-hmm. Then we found out why, because when the German government bailed out the shipyard that they owned, they bailed them out conditionally, and the condition was, we're only going to give you money on certain dates if your ships come out on time and sail on time. So it was in the shipyard's best interest and in Crystal's best interest to get that ship out of the yard and sail it, even though it wasn't close to being ready. When we got on that ship, there were at least 150 shipyard workers and welders and and, and, and trash dumpsters. And I mean, it was not ready. None of the restaurants were open. The spa wasn't open. The carpeting wasn't even down. Half the cabins weren't ready. But they were going to sail it. And I knew the next day, oh, it was so bad, it wasn't even supplied. There were people running around Iceland trying to buy quarts of liquor. Because in Iceland, you have to have a license to buy anything more than one quart at a time. Wow. So they were offering anybody on the ship, go, here's money, go buy liquor, just to be able to stock the bars. That's how crazy this was just to get this ship pushed out so the parent company would get a payment from the German government. And, of course, in everybody's cabin was a letter from the Crystal chairman saying, we know, here's another future cruise credit. Exactly. Another future cruise credit. And they, and they sailed. Yes. Well, 
where you know that ship was also seized. So well, yeah, I have something to tell you because I saw you right after that, and I had clients on it. And sure enough, you called it that they were going to come and really up the ante of what they were going to offer everybody, and they did. So I was on the ship. Um, I want to say October, November, all done. Beautiful ship. The Endeavor was is absolutely beautiful ship. It flowed perfectly well, and they had a two night sailing on there for um, media and for travel agents. And I was on, and TK was there, the owner, and his wife, Cecilia, and Colin, the man who runs everything. And I talked to TK, and when the thing that bothers me the most, Peter, we're standing out on the deck, and the symphony is sailing by. And we all stood up on the deck, and, you know, the horns were going, and everybody, and it was quite emotional, and the crew was all out on the deck, and people waving. And TK stood next to me and cried, literally cried. I have a picture with he, his wife, and myself, and he's got tears down his face. And he said to me, just wait until November, because this was earlier. This was like maybe August or September. Just wait till November. We've got a great announcement, and we're going to have more of these exact ships. So I'm thinking, wow, this is great. So, you know, I mean, you had no idea. Well, November is when this big announcement was supposed to come, that they never got all this money. They never had anything, and then all of a sudden, everything fell apart. Completely fell apart. Now... Of all the, sh- the cruise ships that are sailing now and will be sailing starting in June of this year, almost the entire complement of cruise ships in the world will be sailing. This is the major failure. Exactly. So here we are on the Silver Sea, Silver Dawn, the 10th ship in their fleet. They're financed somewhat differently. Their parent corporation is Royal Caribbean. Right. No concerns? None. None whatsoever. But you know what? It, it kind of it jades you. Not jades you in the way because I'm going to... Uh, the eternal optimist, right? And I will say the nice thing about the cruise industry that I can say more than hotels or more than any other at the ground thing, they all support one another. Now, they're not, none of them are silly. I mean, this happened that day. Barbara Mucker was on the phone with me. Barbara you know, Mucker is, is, is the chief commercial officer. Correct. And everybody was of, out of there. Of Silver Sea. Of Silver Sea. And everybody was out there right away because they know the huge clientele that I have. So just to put this in perspective, Peter, for this year, just this year, the remainder of the year, I had $9.11 million on the books with them, already booked for people to go you know, on the cruises, not counting what was for next year, the world cruise, everything else. Now I'm in a situation where all of the people that have booked after April, put it on their credit card, are getting their money back, and they have been getting their money back. It's the people that took the future cruise credits. They lost their rights. Yes. They lost their rights. Yes, because they signed that they, you know, they weren't going to take a refund. Well, what most people don't realize is, you know, under federal credit rules, if you don't get what you contract for within 60 days, you can dispute the charge on your credit card and you'll get an interim credit and most likely a permanent credit. What people don't realize is there's something else on the books and it's something that the credit card companies believe in and they follow called Regulation Z. And Regulation Z says if you find out something within 540 days, they will get you the credit. But they don't volunteer this and nobody does. So I'm telling you right now. The problem, as Mary Jean just said, is if you keep extending the cruise credits, you exceed the 540 days, and then you've lost all your rights. And that's what we're sitting here right now with. And Peter, the clientele that I have, I mean, we are talking accomplished, intelligent people from CEOs to CPAs. But they believed. All believed. Every single one believed. And so now we're in a situation that we're trying to move as many people over as we possibly can. My thanks to Mary Jean, to Chris Gray Faust, to Matthew Upchurch, and to Jason Liberty. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, just rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. 
And for all the breaking travel news, you know what to do. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com/survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.